You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Let's go to Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six. And uh, just hold, hold your Bibles open there if you can. And we're going to flip through tonight, as, as is our custom, and we'll go through several uh, different things. But this will be sort of the keystone, let's say, uh, primary point of contact for this series or, or, or this topic tonight on prayer. And we're speaking on prayer. I think it would be good if we just prayed before we talked on prayer. Would that be all right tonight? Amen. So join with me tonight. Lift your voice. God, I thank you that we can gather together in your house one more time. I thank you that we can open up the word of the Lord freely tonight. I ask that this would not just be a topic, not just a discussion, not just a chat, but Lord, let your word make its way into our heart. And I pray that you would stir up some things within our spirit in the subject matter of prayer. And Lord, even tonight, let us through prayer connect with you again before this evening's over. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Prayer is something that is a must. It is an absolute essential for our walk with God. We cannot thrive without it. We cannot grow without it. We cannot even just uh, continue to exist as we are without prayer. Prayer is our connection to God, the almighty, invisible, transcendent God. You say, well, well, what are you talking about, prayer? What does prayer mean? Prayer simply is our address to God, our communication, our speaking, our conversing with God. Now, folks, just the concept of that is quite... Uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a big word, magnanimous. Is that a word? Is that a big word? That's a big word. Magnanimous. I don't even know if it is a word, but that's how big it is. But for us as finite people, to be able to communicate with an infinite God, a God that cannot be seen because he's beyond the comprehension, a God that is invisible, a God that is without limit, but yet... The Word tells us, and God Himself tells us, that we can have direct access to Him. Wow! That's just, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty amazing. Here is God's desire to communicate with us. And the means is through prayer. It most often includes both praise and petition. But prayer is our conversing and our interaction with God. Prayer is when we personally speak to God. That's why every time we gather together in the church house, we pray. We have many multiple times for prayer. We begin with prayer and we end with prayer. 
Because it's not just great to worship God and to admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not just enough to read the Word of God and discuss the Word of God and then leave it there. No, we go on after we have received impartation, revelation, illumination, and we then have a direct connection and communication with God. We are honored that we can be a part of prayer. One person said prayer is both the Christian's duty and it should be the Christian's delight. Hallelujah. Let me say that again. Prayer is the Christian's duty. It's our responsibility. Amen. It's our, it's our understanding that it's required of us. You wouldn't enter into a marriage and not expect to communicate with the other person for the rest of your existence. No, you know it's required, that communication. But prayer is the Christian's delight. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that I do not have to leave my communication with God up to someone else. I don't have to depend upon a priest or a father or a preacher or a prophet to make my connection or my petition before God. I thank God for preachers and I thank God for teachers that can come down and be spiritually attuned enough to speak to us, amen, corporately and sometimes even individually. But I am thankful that when that word comes that I can go to God in prayer. So it doesn't matter if the church doors are closed, I can still access heaven. It doesn't matter if the lights are off, I can still access heaven. It doesn't matter if I can't get to the church house, I can still access the throne room of God. How? Through prayer. And so prayer is this wonderful thing that, that is not our communication relegated through somebody else. You know, much of church history, and I, and I enjoy history, um, much of church history relegated the people's communication to God through an individual. And they kept them bound and they kept them confined. But I'm here to tell you, I invite you to prayer. Here at CTK, we invite you to prayer. We invite you to access God. You don't even have to wait till the end of service to access God. You can go ahead and pray right now. Whenever the Spirit hits you, whenever, amen, the desire hits you, you can go ahead and pray. And can I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord, amen, is not just hanging out up here, but He can go out there in a moment and He can touch you and commune with you in an instant. Thank God for prayer. This is an honor. And because of that, we don't just relegate prayer to the church house. but We can take it anywhere any place, any time. Some of the most powerful moments that I've ever had in prayer have come in a church service. But that being said, I have had many, many powerful moments with the Lord outside of a church building, outside of a church facility. Amen. Prayer, you can make anything a prayer room. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Now, you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6 because that's where we're going. But before we go there, keep, keep a finger to mark the page. I want us to go to Luke 11 chapter 1. And you can flip there and there is sort of a, these are corresponding passages because what we know 
and has come defined as the Lord's Prayer is given to us in these two different chapters, Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. But I want us to go to Luke chapter 11 and let's look first because it's introduced in this setting and in this context and in the Gospel of Luke. And then Jesus gives to his disciple the Lord's Prayer, but he's already taught them about it in chronological order previously on the Sermon on the Mount, which is we're most familiar with the, the, the form or, or the manner given to us in Matthew chapter number 6. But in Luke chapter number 11, there's a powerful principle here, and it says this, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, I want you to note that Jesus was praying in a certain place, but yet in that place, his disciples saw him. They saw him praying. And the Bible says, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so here we have the setting where Jesus is praying, and the disciples see the Lord praying, and their exposure to his prayer puts something inside of them. They wait until he's finished, and when he had ceased, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I think this illustrates a great truth that is still relative to all of us today, and that is this, that there is often a desire to pray, but we lack the know-how, or we lack the knowledge. How do I pray? Anybody here, I'm, I, don't, don't raise your hands because I, I don't want anybody to feel any pressure in that sense. But have you ever knelt down to pray and you get down to pray and you think, man, okay, I'm, I'm out. I'm out of everything to say. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Just give me, a, give me a little bit of encouragement here tonight. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I won't, I won't ask anybody to tell on themselves. And, and, and you want to connect with God, but man, whatever it is, it just seems like there's that desire but sometimes the lacking is the know-how. How many can remember maybe some of the first times that you pray? How many can remember maybe the first time that you ever came to the altar at service? You know, sometimes we, we are so accustomed to the church culture and experience that we forget what that's like. You know, sometimes when people come in, now we give altar calls, but sometimes, you know how intimidating, wow, that is for some people when they come to church? especially for the very first time, and the Lord's moving on them, and they have this desire, but all these different kinds of things. How do I pray? What do I say? And, and, and I, I, I've, in the many years that we were privileged to evangelize, I, I would go with pray with people in the altar, and sometimes people would come to the altar, and they're standing there, and they are overwhelmed by what they feel, especially in a Pentecostal experience where you feel the dynamic presence of God in a worship moment or whatever, and, but they have no clue what's going on, and they don't know what to say. And so I would often come down, and, 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 and you know, if they're crying or something, not saying anything, and I would begin to talk with them, and I'd say, hey, I'd introduce myself right there in the altar service and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Andrew. Of course, they knew that I had been preaching, but I'd come and say, I'm, I'm Andrew. Can I pray with you tonight? Yes. And they'd say yes. And I'd say, is this your first time or have you been around? And somebody would just ask them. And they, they'd let me know right then. And we'd talk about, you know, a little bit and we'd pray and then we'd stop a little bit. And, 
And, and I promise you, if you can live for God for a long time, and sometimes your prayers don't last that long, people that are coming for the first time or experience it for the first time usually aren't going for a long time. So we'll pray through a little bit of thing, and I'll, I'll, I'd even stop and ask them and walk them through. But have you ever repented? Do you know what this is? Do you have a need? And we go through that. But there is a desire... And I would see that where people would come down sometimes because they were just being obedient. Pastor said, if you need anything, or preacher said, if you need anything, come down. And they came, but they don't know what to do. And so this need is, is so vital and important for us how to pray. How to pray. And so here are disciples of Christ. Here are people that have already said I'm going to leave my nets, and I'm going to follow. They are already following him. They're not on the fence. They're already following him, and yet they're in the journey saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. I need to know how to pray. I need to know how to pray. So I think it is good for each and every one of us, from the pulpit to the back door, wherever, to say, hey, how, how do I know how to pray? And do I, I need to examine this, and maybe there's some things I can learn about prayer. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. So let's go on, and let's look at this. So they ask him, teach us to pray. Now, Jesus, who is the master teacher, uses parables often. He goes back and he'll tell stories. He'll invoke the Old Testament narrative and stories for examples and illustrations, but here he does neither, and he gives to them principles and a pattern, and he responds to them by teaching them what we have known to be called the Lord's Prayer. So now go back to Matthew chapter number 6, because this is the manner that we're, or, or the, 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 the form probably which we're most familiar with. And so we'll look at this beginning at verse number 9. And here is, you can also find that in Luke 11 where we just were, verses 2 through 4. But he says this in verse number 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. So he doesn't give them a parable, he doesn't give them a story, but he's giving them principles. He's giving us a pattern. And we've talked about this many times. Here it is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so he gives to us this pattern here. How do we pray? Well, here's this pattern. And if we were to look at this and we were to dissect this, and we've done this before, and if you haven't done this, uh, we, we have some prayer helps out there that you can pick up uh, from, from where some of the other tracks are and different things, the prayer wheel, where it goes through this pattern. Our Father, which art in heaven. You know how many times, even, even let's say me, and some of you in here, you've been living for God longer than I've, than I've been alive. But how many times in the many years of prayer, of consistent prayer, that I've, I've been privileged to have, I still come in and kneel down 
and I go back to the Lord's Prayer, and I will actually pray the Lord's Prayer. And I expound the Lord's Prayer. I come in, our Father, which art in heaven. And the first thing that you do is you acknowledge that God is your creator. He's your Father. There's so, we, we, we don't have time to unpack it all tonight, but there's so much just in the first statement of saying our Father. There's so much theology. There's so much rich doctrine in there. When you come into the presence of God, you're saying our Father. You're understanding that I am not alone. I am not the only person. The center of the universe does not revolve around me. In fact, it revolves around him. And every living creature is his creation. And I am coming to him acknowledging that I am just one person. I'm one more person. And we are all children, amen, by the grace and the mercy of God. Our Father. He's my creator. He's my source of life. He's where it begins. Sometimes you start praying like that. And you just start going on. You don't even get past our Father. And you've gone through enough time. Wow. You, I get happy. I'm already, you see, I'm happy right now. I'm just happy talking about it. Our Father. You know, the Word is right. The Word is good. We get the Word of God. Can I tell you, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we worship God in a church where it doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, your genetic background, your ethnic background, your bank account, your education status, your intellect. None of that matters. You know why? Because He's our Father. And no one sits higher than the other. No one's closer to God than the next person. We all got to come through the blood. We've got to come through amen the cross but when we get there he loves us all the same and the same God that can bless one can bless all and the same God that can heal one he can heal all and the same God that can deliver one he can deliver all our father which art in heaven he's beyond he's beyond what we can know the billions of light years away that now scientists can tell us that all the stars are the cluster of the stars that are without number, the galaxies that we cannot number, the galaxies that we cannot number. I mean, it just blows your mind when you look at Herculean cluster. If you've ever seen the Herculean cluster, I can't even remember. I preached on it a couple of years ago. I can't even remember how many billions of stars are in the Herculean cluster, but when we look up with a naked eye, on a, on a perfect night we see it as one star but that one star is billions of stars all compacted together and God is the God in heaven where's heaven well 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 Hubble hasn't found it yet God's beyond that that's the God but yet that God that's transcendent without limit is still engaging me and I'm speaking to him he's my lifeline wow come on don't be, don't be upset if you never get a chance to meet the queen. Don't be upset if you never shake the president's hand. You've got a direct connection to the God. <laughs> Eternal, immortal, hallelujah, invisible. Paul said, the only wise God. That's pretty powerful. So you begin to pray the pattern that he's given us. Our Father, we, we won't unpack it all. Which art in heaven, hallowed be that name. That's our praise. We enter in with that acknowledgement of faith. We enter in with praise. And then we go on. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We begin to pray his will. Not my will. 
I'm praying his will. Now, now, later on in the pattern, there's slot for petition. There's slot for offering up to God the things that I need, the things that I require. But before I ever get to the, Lord, I need this and I need that, I first preface it and set it within the context of something that's bigger than what I can see, and that's the will of God. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come in my life. Watchman Nee said this. He said, prayer means that our will is standing on God's side. It's not my will. Now, there was a, there was a famous book that hit, hit the Christian market a few years ago. Anybody remember the prayer of Jabez? Anybody still have that little book somewhere? You probably got it somewhere down there. It hit shelves everywhere. It's a great little book. It was a great little prayer. It is that, though. It's a little prayer. It's one verse, one sentence in the Old Testament and a little prayer. And it hit the worldwide. All of the secular magazines were even talking about it. And they were saying, man, this is great. This is, like, awesome because this tells us basically the secular people were interpreting it as a mechanism where you could flip a switch. If you follow this technique, you're going to have all kinds of blessings. And they lifted that prayer out of the context of a life that says, God, your will. Because Jabez just says, hey, enlarge my territory and bless me. And what people did was they went and they took that prayer out of the context of God's will. And they used it trying to get stuff. Can I tell you, this thing with God, when you know that he's a God that's in heaven beyond all that, your little stuff request looks so pathetic. You know that? He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns the hill. He owns the cattle. He owns the universe. He owns the stars. He owns the sun that feeds the grass, that feeds the cattle. He owns all of that. And so all that pales in comparison. And so our prayers and our petitions are set within the context of his will. So we go on. And then we get to this place. Give us this day. Everybody say this day. Today, our daily bread. Give us our daily bread, what I need right now. Why, why am I not praying for tomorrow? Because we don't know about tomorrow. We don't know of tomorrow's promise. I'm living right now, and God, there's a daily bread. What, what was that daily bread? They understood this as Jews when they prayed this. They were not just speaking about physical sustenance, although that's included in here, but they were talking about the living word of God. And four weeks ago or three weeks ago, we talked about the word of God as being the first essential that everything's established on, everything's built upon. And they understood that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So give us daily bread. You know what they were saying? If you're going to pray this prayer, right? This prayer is not just prayed once a year, right? This prayer, this prayer only works when you pray it every day. Turn to somebody and say, gotcha, every day. So he's got me here because this prayer doesn't work only if I pray it on Sundays. This prayer works only if I pray it every single day. Then he goes on, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. He's not talking about physical things. He's talking about these spiritual things as we forgive our debtors. And Luke, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And there's a powerful principle there about forgiveness and unforgiveness. We're coming to God seeking forgiveness. And how can we, as fallen creatures, think of ourselves any better than anyone else? If we ask of forgiveness and receive forgiveness, we must also be willing to forgive. That's in the prayer. Those are things that we deal with. I'm going to tell you, usually if, I have, if, I, if I'm breezing through the prayer, sometimes this is where you get hung up. You start praying, oh, wait a minute, God. I don't, I don't like that part. Can I skip over that part? Can I just jump over that part? Is, is that oh, still there? Still there. And you have to bring that to God in prayer. And I'm going to tell you what that does. Wow, you, get, you allow this prayer to work in your life. Man, God begins to release things that have a hold on your soul and on your spirit. These are deep things, folks. This is not, these are not, this is not some child's play here. These are big issues that we're talking about right now because it's hard stuff sometimes that people go through. And then look at what he asks. And then he comes and lead us not into temptation. Don't bring us to things, God, that don't set us, don't lead us uh, as if, as if, number one, we should, as if God would lead us to bad things. He's not leading us to bad things. But what he's saying is, here, God, order my steps. Don't, don't allow me to fall prey to a thing. Don't, don't allow me to fall prey to these, the devices of the world that's going to deliver me from the evil of this world. Keep me from these things in every avenue and aspect of my life. That's why we're diligent about how we are. Amen. Not only in our walk with God, but then how it impacts everything about us. From, from my job to my home to my relationships, God. Don't deliver me from evil. Don't let me be entrapped or enslaved by certain things. And then he closes out again, for thine is the kingdom. And this is powerful. And the power and the glory forever. Amen. He closes with a declaration and statement of faith. You know why you have to do that? Because sometimes you take things to God in prayer. And I take them to God in prayer. Forgive me as I try to forgive so-and-so. Or give me this day my daily bread, but God, I don't see how it's going to happen. Or you don't see the answer. You don't see. And so, but you're concluding by giving. You know what? I've laid it before you, God. I've borne my heart out in my own finite way. I, I don't know if it's going to be successful or not. I know you've heard me, but one thing I am going to do is when I get up from this prayer, I am going to declare, thine is the kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's your glory. It's your power. And so, God, one thing that is for sure, he's restating. He's declaring the glory of God. Amen. Let it be so. Let it be final. Let this be my last prayer. To God be the glory forever and ever in my life. And so here's this pattern that we have to pray. So you say, well, hey, I need to know how to pray. This is a great way to pray. So let's go on. And so here we are. Uh, uh, Watchman Nee says this. He says, our needs, and I like this. He says, our needs should be lost in God's will. I think that's good. And then he says, unless we are completely weaned from ourselves, having not the slightest interest of our own, but living absolutely for the Lord and seeking only his glory, we will not like what he likes, nor seek what he seeks, nor pray what he wants us to pray. That is powerful. 
God, I want your will inside of my life. Let's continue on. How to pray. Let's go to James chapter number 5 and verse number 16. And we're going to hasten on and push through this. James chapter 5 and verse number 16. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And then he gives us a powerful statement. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, last year in 2017, I think it was, we began our year with a series working through James. And in chapter 5, I spent some time dealing with the understanding of this verse, understanding it by context of Elijah and the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. But I want to just highlight a few things out of this verse, if I can, tonight. Number one, he, he's letting us know that there is a prayer that availeth much, not prevails, but a prayer that avails, availeth much. What does avail mean? It means it's available. There is a prayer that gives you access to the unlimited resources of God, okay? So if there's a prayer, I want a part of that prayer, okay? Well, let's also highlight that that prayer that availeth much is a prayer that is within the context of a righteous individual. It's not a hypocrite's prayer. Hear me. It's not the prayer of a rebellious person. It's a prayer of a righteous man, he says. A righteous man. Can I tell you, you know why I want to be righteous? I don't want to be righteous so I can tell anybody else I'm righteous because that's not righteousness. But I want to be righteous. I want to be right by God so that I can access what God has for me. Amen. Holiness is not about me having some kind of reputation with anybody else. Holiness is about me being in proximity with the Lord. Well... I don't know if anybody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night. Holiness is about me being in proximity with the Lord. When God called Moses, what did he say? He said, Moses saw the bush, bush burning, not consumed. He turned over, uh, turned to it, and God said, take off your shoes. For the place where you're standing on is holy ground. And God introduced his holiness. He had this in encounter, this in supernatural encounter with God. And he introduces him his holiness. Can I tell you, holiness is about preparing us for the presence of God. Because the Bible says, no flesh shall glory in his presence. So a prayer that avails much first comes from a righteous man. It does matter. Can I tell you, it does matter how you're living. Let me just be pastor for a moment. Can I be pastor for a moment? Don't go out, live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, do the things of the world, and then come in here and expect your prayer on Sunday morning to have progress. This is going to hit a ceiling. Amen? You can't be out partying in the clubs one night and then expect to have Holy Ghost connectivity the next moment. You can't be out there, you can't be out in the world tearing everybody else down and hating everybody, everybody that God loves, and then come in here and say, oh, our Father. <laughs> right? 
You've got to be a righteous person. You've got to be a holy person. Does that mean you have to be perfect? Absolutely not. Not one of us are perfect. Not one of us will ever be perfect. Amen. But when we lay aside our flesh and we pick up his cross, we are clothed in his righteousness. And thank God for that. But can I tell you, when you've been living right, amen, when you're on your job and you're being nice to everybody and somebody just refuses to be nice to you and they cuss you out every day, you walk through those doors and you just keep on blessing Jesus and you just keep on living for God and you go home and all of a sudden there's a temptation that rises up and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you go through a week of resisting temptation and being confident and you come into the house of the Lord and you begin to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hello, he knows something's going on. The angels know. Heaven knows something's going on. Hey, when we're calling on the name of the Lord, he listens. Because he knows that, hey, this is somebody that means business. So it's within the context of that. And then he tells us this, this prayer that availeth much is within the context of a righteous man. But it is both fervent and it is effectual. Can I tell you there's a fervency. There's a passion. There's a desire. And I'm not just talking about passion and demonstration. Although that's accepted and expected as well. But I'm talking about a fervency that says every day that I get up. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So I'm just as happy about living for God on Sunday as I am on Wednesday, as I am on Friday, as I am on Monday. Why? Because there's a fervency. You do all this and it's going to be effectual. It's going to be effectual. It's going to be effective. That's why when people need prayer, they don't go to the bar rooms. Hello. Nobody going to help me preach on Wednesday night. They don't leave church parking lot to go to the bar to have somebody pray for them. But I've seen them many times leave the bar and go straight to church and say, hey, I need God in my life. Because they're looking, they know. I want somebody that's going to affect a prayer. I don't want of these patty cake for Jesus prayers. I don't need, I know you can pray. Yeah, you say you can pray. No, I'm going somewhere where they know how to get a hold of God. And so we've got to, we've got to pray in this manner. All right, let's go on. Let's, let's look at this. The next one I want to show you is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. We could even say it this way, obnoxious prayer. Can prayer be obnoxious? Well, he tells us in Luke chapter 5, or chapter 11 rather, 5 through 13. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, uh, is come to me and I have nothing set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity or his obnoxious persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. He said, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth he that seeketh findeth to him that knocketh it shall be open he said if a son shall ask bread of you that is a father will he give him a stone or if he ask a fish will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he ask an egg will he offer him a scorpion no if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children here it is 
how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, you, we're talking about persistent prayer. We're talking about obnoxious prayer. We're talking about prayer of importunity, prayer that does not quit. Okay? Now, people will take this out of context and say, well, you just got to bug God. You just got to keep bugging God. God, I need a new Cadillac. God, I need a new Cadillac. That's not what we're talking about here. If you look at the context in which this is given, this persistent prayer, the prayer of importunity that God tells us is not about gaining stuff. It's about the Holy Ghost. Am I wrong? It's about the Holy Spirit. Because he, he ends the whole scenario with how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the relative presence of the transcendent God come down indwelling us, making us in communion and harmony with God, restoring us back to that place of communion. The one time that God says you can be obnoxious and persistent in your prayer is when you are desperate to get back in communion and connection with God. <laughs> Come on. This isn't about me praying for money and bugging God on that. No, it's not even about me praying for healing and bugging God on that. Paul said, he said, I sought the Lord thrice for this thorn to be gone, but it's not. So I'm going to take it and I'll be content. He said, I'm not going to keep bugging God because he heard my prayer the first time. I'm going to keep living on. But the one place that Jesus says, don't you stop praying is when you are trying to get back to that place of connection with God, of communion with God can I tell you then he says beat the church doors down then do everything you can don't give up and don't stop until the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you can I tell you amen you've been living for God for a while but sometimes you go through seasons where you fall out with God is this all right and sometimes you go through seasons where there's a disconnect with God. Can I tell you, I give you license. The Word of God gives you license. Jesus Christ gives you license to say, hey, until I get restored back to that place. Hallelujah. That's why I'm so excited when I see somebody come down to the altar and they run down to the altar. I don't know what they've done. I don't know where they've been. It does not matter. But all that matters is now they have a desperation and a desire to get back. In communion with the Lord. Hallelujah. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We've got to pray. Amen. That's where our persistent prayer, that's where there's power in persistent prayer. Amen. And I've got to come to a close. When, you, when to pray. Let's, let's go through this. I've got to finish up tonight. When to pray. Well, there's four verses we'll look at for when to pray. When to pray. The first one is Psalms 55 and 17. Here's what he says. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Daniel did this, this practice of prayer three times a day. Now, I don't think it's necessarily completely about just marking off three times a day as it is this. The Jewish day, we, we live in... in Western civilization, modernity, we live on the Gregorian calendar. And so we, we flip everything around and we do everything different. But the Jewish day 
began at sundown. And the day starts at sundown, and then it finishes at it finishes on sundown. So, so where our day starts uh, midnight to midnight, some arbitrary thing, they actually set it with the sun on the going down. So actually, their beginning was on the evening. That was the start of the day. And so that's why in Genesis, when you read it, say evening and morning were the first day. And so here we have, when you begin your day, when the day begins, when the day ends, and throughout the day. When do you pray? You pray when the day starts. You, when they concluded their day and they came home, the day, the day started at sundown, and they, would con, they, would, they had concluded their work, and now they were starting their day together with prayer and with family time around. They would sleep after they started the day, but then they would go on. And so it's when we, for us, how would we put this in practice? When we first rise to start our day, we should pray. When we're going throughout our day, we should pray. And when we close out our day, we should pray. If you don't practice this, I'm challenging you to practice when you start your day, throughout your day, and when you close your day. Pray. Stop. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Someone said this. They said, I, my prayers may not last three minutes, but I don't go three minutes without praying. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty good right there. Because that's what we're trying to get to. That's what God is trying to get to us. Let's, let's go to 1 Chronicles 16, 11. He says it this way. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. What's that word say? Continually. Paul takes on from this and goes on and admonishes us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And he says, pray without ceasing. What's he saying here? He goes on in Ephesians 6 and 18, praying always. Somebody say always. When to pray? Always. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So does that mean I have to be praying nonstop and I can't talk to anybody and I can't go? No. What this means is that you should never be at a place where your spiritual posture is not seeking after the things of God even in my relationships, even in my relaxation, even in my recreation, even in my workings, even in my dealings, I am still living my life under the umbrella of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm still living myself. And then I invoke personally, I invoke prayer throughout my day. It's okay to praise God in the middle of the day. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you. Jesus, thank you. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. Can I tell you, you get mindful of that, and, and you'll be a lot less likely to be depressed by the news. You get mindful of praying, and you'll be a lot less likely to pick up the phone real quick and start talking about somebody else that you shouldn't be messing with because you're praying without ceasing. Let prayer be a matter of your heart. All right, let's go on. How not to pray. And I've got to, I've got to, we're, we're coming to a close, almost there. How not to pray. Well, we go back to Matthew chapter 6. Go back to Matthew chapter number 6, and he tells us here. He says, when you pray, in verse 5, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. 
Well, number one, God doesn't hear the hypocrites. So that's a good reason why. But then he goes on and said, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. The only time I ever prayed was when I came to church and I stood up and I tried to wax eloquent and I used words that you could not understand or that were so out of uh, rotation that people were like, wow, man, what a power. Wow, wasn't that just such a wordy prayer? Well, I've had my reward. That's it. Jesus says, that's it. God's not hearing it. And all the compliments they get, that's as far as the reward goes on that. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Here, here it is. Write this down if you, if you desire the secret to prayer is secret prayer. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. <clears throat> if your prayers aren't going up in secret, they're probably not going to be very effective in public. And if you're not already praying those things, amen, behind closed doors, probably not going to be very effective in public. Now Christ tells us to go into the closet here. And to shut the door. And what he's talking about, sometimes when he's speaking, he would take and he would grab at extremes. And he's talking about. So some people say, well, you know, I got to go to my closet. You don't have to clean out your closet at home just to get in there to pray, okay? I just want you to, I just want to make that clear because somebody that's really well intending and say, hey, I want to do everything God said, they go home and clean out all their closets. And, and, and no, you can use your closet. What he's saying here is you need to get away to where there's a space. This is a personal interaction. My prayer has nothing to do with anybody else. My prayer to God ought not have anything to do with anybody else. Whether I'm your pastor or not, I should be praying. It should have nothing to do with anybody else. Whether I am a father to Luca or not, I should be praying. Whether I am a husband to Janelle or not, I should be praying. This is about me and God. I'm his creation. I'm his existence. This is about me personally. This is not about anybody else. Now that being said, Christ in practice... Christ would withdraw himself from the crowd, and he would go out to pray. He would go to the hillside to pray. There were times where he would go off to pray on his own, and, and such as we see where the disciples are fishing, and the Lord comes back from the prayer walking on the water. But there are many times where we see he goes away to pray, and his disciples, the 12, are there with him, and they can see him. They can even hear. Maybe some mumblings and some things that he may be saying or enough to know that, hey, he's praying right now. And so even though he's entering into the closet, it was not restricted. He was not saying, let no one ever see that you pray. I'm going to tell you now that it is important that your family know that you are a praying person. 
But they should not see you pray only when you want them to see you pray. They should know that this is about you and God. That you're praying whether your child's in the house or not. Whether your child's alive or not. They should know that this is about this personal prayer with you and God. And so don't pray, amen, on the stage. Pray in private. This is about you and God. And this is where you ought to learn to pray. Amen. Somebody say amen. And so we go on. And he says also, when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Why? He says, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Okay? So let's go back. Some people take out the importunity out of context, and they think, if you just keep bugging God, just keep bugging God about stuff, God's going to have to give it to you. And they miss the point. That, in context, was about reconciliation. It was about bringing you into communion with God. But here he's saying, don't say vain repetitions. They think if they get up there and they keep saying these things, just repetitive things over and over and over, all of a sudden, I've said it this many, I've said, I've said this prayer 500,423 times and God's got to hear me. No. He said, God knows what you have need of before you ever ask it. What God is looking for is he's looking for a prayer to come out of your heart. You don't have to stand there saying vain repetitions. When we're praying, you got to catch yourself. Sometimes we can get in the mode and the practice of prayer. Sometimes you ought to listen to yourself praying. Stop and listen. Has this ever happened? Can I just be transparent here tonight? And I'm closing. Have you ever knelt down to pray and you've been praying for 10 minutes and you realize, you know what, God? I've been praying to you. It's been automated. Somehow I hit the autopilot button accidentally. And I've been thinking about everything that I've got to take care of at home. And I'll stop. And I'll say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. You know my heart. You know my heart really desires this. I'm here because I choose to be here. But God, I need you. And I got a lot going on. And you know, sometimes God says, look, I know you're a preacher, but you don't have to use preacher talk with me. Just talk to me. And all of a sudden, wow, I can connect into that prayer. God, I need you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I bless you. God, I need you. Lord, I love you. I may say it over and over again, Lord, I love you, but it's not a vain repetition. <laughs> because I got, the, I got my heart on God's heart. So don't, don't waste your time with those vain repetitions. God already knows what you're praying. You can say, I believe you can say one thing. There it is. You can leave it there. There it is. I don't have to say this again. God heard me. God knows, and I'm leaving it there. So this is how to pray, how not to pray, when to pray. Let's go to the next thing, and let's look at this, getting started, getting started. Because somebody that may be listening to this podcast in the future, maybe somebody that's going to be here, maybe somebody that's here tonight, maybe it's been a while, and you're saying, hey, how do I get started? Well, number one, the format that Christ gave us was intended for daily use. Get started. I hope... That you are not, now, now we could start by scheduling our prayer, but prayer should be something that grows as we mature, that's what we're talking about, and as we grow, prayer should be automatic. Now I have a calendar, how many keep calendars? Anybody here keep calendars or schedules? Okay, anybody keep a daily itinerary? Sometimes you have to have daily itineraries. Now I don't know, maybe, now I'm a list person, and I'm pretty detailed, but I will tell you this, 
I do not put on my calendar, I, dis, I dispense with putting on my calendar, get up, brush your teeth, take a shower, put on clean clothes. I, I don't put that in there. I've got that. And at 38 years of age, if I haven't got that, somebody help me, right? I, I don't know if there is any help for me. What prayer should become is it should become so automatic, amen, that I don't even have to say, hey, I've got to go, oh, I'm going to bed, I've got to brush my teeth. No, I know, hey, Lord, thank you for this day. God, I need you. I start my day, I end my day. You have... How many have a commute to work? You have a commute to work. That's a good time. You can't read your Bible usually while you're driving, but you can listen to your Bible. You can pray. That's a good time to pray. Amen. God help me. You're in a traffic jam. Amen. How many have to sit in delays in traffic in the morning? That's a good time to pray. That's a really good. If we had more people praying on the roads during rush hour, would that not be awesome? That's a good time to pray. Pray. See to it. Try to pray every day. When you pray... And when you pray, practice the Lord's pattern. Put it in there. Start out with praise. Even if the prayer is a two-minute prayer. Can I tell you? A two-minute prayer every morning is more effective than a 20-minute prayer once a week. Or once a month. Or once a year. God, it's me again. It's a new day. I want you to see over this day. I love you. I need you. I want your will. You know the stuff I need. I don't have to ask it. Will you take care of it? Help me not to hold grudges. Help me to forgive. Help me to love. And God, I'm going to give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's a good time to pray. Pray for your food. That's another opportunity to pray. That's another time to pray. You know, sometimes in Pentecost, we are so... In Pentecost, can I just say something? In Pentecost, we are so accustomed to the Holy Ghost, and we believe in the infilling of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and the Pentecostal experience so much that we come, to, we come to lunch or we come to dinner and we rush through prayer. Because we know, and I don't think you have to have a long discourse. I don't think you need to stand at the head of the table in Culver's and get the whole restaurant's attention and go give a great discourse on your whole week and pray for the next month and everybody else. No. Thank the Lord for the food, thank God for the fellowship, and bless it, and go on. But so I still love, sometimes when I get together with some of my other non-spirit-filled Christian friends, and they take time to pray, and you ask them to pray for them, man, they actually stop, and they think about what they're saying. And they, they'll say, and God, I'm glad to have my friend Andrew with me today. Whatever's going on in his family and his church and everything, bless him today. And they include me in that. And they take that opportunity to pray. Can I tell you, we should not shy away from opportunities to pray and opportunities to bless one another. So get involved. Get exposed to prayer. Remember, this whole thing started by the disciples seeing Christ pray. And when they saw him pray, he said, hey, hey, teach me, God, how to pray also. That's why we try to start every Sunday night here with prayer. We're, we're doing okay, but can I say, we need to do a better job of starting prayer on Sunday night. We need to do a better job of prayer on service. I know we have prayer once a month, and I know as life happens and schedules happen and there's conflicts, and sometimes everybody can't make it, and I get that, and we understand that. But you should make that your best effort to be there to a corporate side to prayer. 
People don't have to know what you're praying, but it's okay for people to see you praying, and it's okay for people to hear you praying. In fact, I'd go so far to say this, that if you're in any form on the platform at CTK, and you're okay with people seeing you sing or seeing you do whatever, then you ought to be okay with somebody seeing you before church starts. Come to the altar and kneel down and dedicate a few moments to prayer. That's a good place for everybody to say amen. Amen. Prayer is that important. It's that critical. Get exposed to prayer. And then prayer meetings, church attendance, when we pray. When we give altar call, we're giving opportunity for those that have needs to pray. But can I tell you, I should be in a prayerful mind every service, whether I'm up here, whether I'm back there, wherever I am. And if I'm not the one in need that day, somebody is. And so I ought to be praying. And I ought to be helping establish an atmosphere of prayer in the altar and in the sanctuary. I ought to be mindful of who's around. Maybe a brother, maybe a sister, maybe a, a guest, maybe a visitor. Who knows? But that's a time to pray. And so allow that. And then finally, I'd say this, and we've run out of time tonight. Stand together with me. It's 814. The final thing I would say this is pray the word. We, I, I, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this because I don't want to cut this short. And we need to talk about praying the word. Because a lot of problems happen. It's not how much you pray. It's how much of what you pray is in accordance to God's word that makes it effective. Because you can say, well, I, I've been praying. I've been praying. People tell me, I've been praying for so long for this. But they still got all this junk and all this trash and all these things in their life that's counterproductive. And you're not listening to the Lord. You're not following after God's word. It's not how much you pray in the time, although we ought to invest the time, but pray the word. And I literally pray the word. You say, I don't know what to pray. I, I can't pray for an hour. I'm going to tell you. Somebody, I heard somebody the other day say this. They said, it is easier to pray for an hour than it is to pray for 30 minutes. And then they said this. It's easier to pray for two hours than it is to pray for an hour. And I would testify to that because once you get into a vein of prayer and once you break through the flesh and once you break through the spirit, there is not enough time for you to exhaust the praise and the worship and the manner and the things in your heart and the people that you love and your enemies and everybody else. You go down that list, wow, and you begin to get a burden, you pray, there's not enough time. But sometimes you say, well, I can't pray that long. Well, I'm going to tell you what to do. So I get to those points sometimes where I prayed everything okay. I, well, I don't know what, I'm off. It's an off day. And so you know what I do? I go back to the Word of God. For me, I go to Psalm 51. I go to Psalm 51. It's my go-to. It's not the only one that I go to, but it's, it's been my main go-to since I was in high school. And somebody showed me this one time. I was saying, how do you pray two and three hours? And they said, well, I'll tell you. They said, go to, go to Psalm 51 with me. And we started, they said, let's pray this together. Here's Psalm 51 after David gets caught with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Oh, yeah, I need to pray that. So let's pray that. So we started praying that. And then we go to the next one. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me of my sins. For I, you start praying that. You say it. You quote it. And then you expound on that in your own prayer. The next thing I knew that night when I got done praying, 45 minutes had gone by. And I didn't even realize it. Praying the word of God. Wow. Got it inside of my heart. 
got it inside of my soul. Pray the Psalms. Pray Matthew chapter 6. Pray Ma Luke chapter number 11. Pray Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of the Lord. Pray the epistles. Pray the book of Acts. <laughs> Come on. Pray the book of Acts. We need a place where the foundations are shaken, God. And you begin to pray that. And you begin to pray the word of God. Hallelujah. Can we lift our voice tonight? Hallelujah. God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for your word.